Welcome to the First Church Message of the Week podcast. Thanks for listening in. In a time of trials and being tested, Jesus stands firm in one of the greatest, most important truths we know, that we are beloved children of God who are loved, cared for, and invited, not just into the kingdom of God that is yet to come after this life, but here today as well. For our God is a God of the living and the dead. In this week's message of the week, Pastor Jen Tyler shares from Luke chapter 20 and reminds us that we are God's beloved children. Here is the First Church message of the week. Won't you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, as we listen for your word, may you open our ears that we might hear your voice clearly in our midst. Open our eyes that we might see you more clearly and our hearts that we might love you more deeply as you rid us from any and all distractions so that all that we see and hear and know and feel and speak are of you. Amen. So I want to read for us our scripture that Sandy referred to today. It comes from the Gospel of Luke in the 20th chapter. I'm going to read verses 27 through 40. It says, Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him, being Jesus, and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers, the first married and died childless, then the second, and the third married her, and so in the same way all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living, for to him all of them are alive. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him another question. Here ends our reading today. Now from the get-go, I want to be honest and say that this gospel text is kind of a weird story, isn't it? I mean, it's a story that it's important maybe to name, that it basically begins with a disclaimer that the very people asking questions of Jesus, the people we call the Sadducees, well, they don't believe in a central part of our faith, that being the resurrection. 
And then what Sandy pointed out is an effort to trap Jesus or maybe to persuade him to see their point. They went on to ask Jesus what I think are some pretty ridiculous sounding questions. Questions about a woman who had seven husbands, seven. And so then they ask, well, then who is she married to in heaven? If I'm honest, when I read this story as a part of the lectionary for the week, I thought it was an interesting time for this story to come up because just a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Bryce and I had the opportunity to sit with the Thursday morning women's Bible study, and they got to ask us any question they wanted about life or faith or what we believe or who we are, anything they wanted. And of all the things, unsurprisingly, questions similar to this one came up. What happens when we die? How do we know that? When we get to heaven, will our family's going to be there to greet us? And if so, what happens, someone asked, if we were widowed and we remarried, for example? I have to be honest and say, as a pastor, this is not the first and probably won't be the last time I've had a question along these lines. And the truth is, I could say a lot that might take us a couple of days about that answer, but really, Jesus is the only one who would know all of the answers to exactly what our life after this one is going to look like. And so I'm not going to go fully into and make everybody who was there hear a repeat of the answers we offered that day. But I do want to spend some time reflecting on the answer that Jesus gave when he answered similar questions. First, though, I want to give disclosure that when I heard this, when I reread this story this week, thinking about these questions that they asked of Jesus, it struck me a little different. And somehow, you know, do you ever have some, a read a story that you've been familiar with for a long time, and then all of a sudden it reminds you of something that seems kind of random and out of the blue? That happened to me this week when I was reading this story. And somehow this story and scripture reminded me in a silly way of a children's book that I used to read and love titled, Are You My Mother? by P.D. Eastman. I don't know. I brought it with me in case some of you are familiar with it. This is the story, just a little recap for those of you who don't know, of a mother bird who's sitting on her egg and it starts to jump and it gets close to hatching and she realizes when her baby arrives, they're going to be hungry. So she runs away to get some food. Only, of course, she doesn't come back in time. And so the egg hatches and the bird jumps out and not quite able to fly. The bird immediately starts to go, well, where is my mother? And so he looks up and down and all around, and he starts trottling around on foot, trying to find his mother out on this grand quest. And I'm going to give some spoilers, so plug your ears, I guess, if you don't want to hear them. But it's an old book, and throughout the book, we, tell, we are told that the bird looks up and down and all around, and he comes to all sorts of different creatures like the kitten. And he goes on to the kitten, and the kitten looks at him and says, I'm a kitten. I am not your mother. Right? So over and over again in this story, this happens. He goes to a kitten and a hen and a dog. He even goes up to a cow and a car and a boat, and he looks all around, and none of them are his mother. And then finally he comes towards the end to a big power shovel. And the power shovel, who is also clearly not his mother, scoops him up, which panics the little bird a little. And just as the bird starts to wonder what is going to become of him, 
the power shovel places him gently back in the nest just in time for his mother to return. Now, unlike this poor little bird, most of us are not confused about who our mother is, right? But the Sadducees in today's scripture tell this story about the woman who has seven husbands, and I wondered if maybe there aren't some parallels behind this story because, well, we can all see how there would be confusion, can't we, about who her husband's going to be if she were only to have life If she were to only have one husband after death, how does one choose? And so I almost imagine this story with a sense of humor behind it as I imagine the men casting forth this picture of the woman walking around in heaven to each of the different ones saying, well, are you my husband? Are you my husband? And I know this is a ridiculous, perhaps, example, but... In many ways, it's kind of exactly the point the Sadducees were trying to make. Because the Sadducees knew that Jesus would understand the real question that they were trying to ask. They knew that Jesus would be sure that when they asked him whose wife this woman was going to be, they weren't simply asking a question about who was going to be this woman's husband after death. They were challenging Jesus in a game of who can outsmart who wanting to prove once and for all that they were superior, believing that Jesus would not be able to come up with a good answer, the Sadducees presented Jesus with a case of this woman wandering around asking, well, are you my husband? And I imagine Jesus on the way that only Jesus can, turning this question on its head as he perhaps gave them the same innocent, curious kind of look that the bird may have had as he turns and asks the question of the Sadducees, not, are you my mother or are you my husband? But instead, in Jesus' answer, he seems to push back as if to say, a wife in heaven? Because if there's one thing that we as Christians can be sure of when it comes to resurrection and life after death, we know that we don't fully understand it. We know that we cannot fully know the extent of all of the details until we ourselves have experienced it. And we have lots of guesses, lots of ideas, lots of assumptions about things we hope for. But Jesus reminds us here that like the Sadducees, maybe we just don't get it. Perhaps we even can't get it, since no matter what we think about the afterlife, we tend to define it according to our understanding of the world we live in now. But Jesus tells us here that this basic starting point of our understanding of heaven is the exact same place that we start to get it wrong. But today in this story, that mistake is our good news. It is good news because this woman, he says, who tragically had seven husbands on earth, she's not going to have to ask when her husband is when she gets to heaven. She's not going to wonder whose wife she is. She's not even going to have to ask about her identity or worry about her inability to have a child. She's not going to have to worry about anything that she worried about in this world. Because as Jesus reminded us, these very questions that shaped her identity on her life on earth, well, they're cultural and social definitions of her identity. They are definitions that will not move with her beyond this life. 
Now, to be clear, there, that lingers the question, right? Like, does that mean she's not going to get to be with her husband in heaven? Of course, it doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that her identity will not be rooted in her place as a wife or a partner. In fact, as the only identity that she lived into as a childless woman, well, there's a lot of good news for her, especially in this story. Because did you notice what I did? When we read this story and the Sadducees, they ask this question about how the Sadducees, they don't ask which husband she will go to or which relationship she'll be a part of. They ask whose wife she will be. And it's one example of many of how over and over in scripture, we are reminded that in Jesus' day, the widow was truly the least of these. She had no rights, no means of caring for herself, no safety nets. She had nothing, if not a family to care for her. Which is to say, really, that her identity of being a wife was not as part of being half of a committed relationship, but truly as a woman who was literally given in marriage as if she were property. And Jesus doesn't want us to see the world in this way. Jesus never saw or treated women in this way, even though his culture around him did. And in this moment of correcting the Sadducees to be sure that they don't let those misunderstandings tint their idea of heaven too, Jesus assures us that this woman therefore will not find her identity in being a wife in heaven, but that instead her identity will be found in only one thing, in being a child of God. First and foremost, she is a child of God. And in the resurrected life, Jesus says, that is the identity we all shall find, regardless of who married or didn't marry who, regardless of any of our earthly categories that we set up, no matter if we are male or female or young or old or married or unmarried, Gentile or Jew, as Paul says, no matter where we come from, no matter who we used to be or who we are told we are by society, first and foremost in this life and in our life that is yet to come, we are God's beloved. And there is nothing that can change that, not in this life. And Jesus says, not in our life that is yet to come. It's almost perhaps as if God is saying with a smile, you can't get rid of me that easily because God has already claimed to be the God of the living and of the dead. And so as a church, we believe that together we make up the very living, breathing body of Christ, the body of which we all play an important part in our own ways. A body that gathers like we have today to worship God and to serve in community. We strive for relationship with one another, and we strive even more importantly for deeper relationships with our God, striving with determination to love our enemies as we seek to rely on God for the strength it takes to bless and pray for those, as scripture says, who persecute us. We strive together to maybe even do hard things like understanding those with whom we strongly disagree or taking it a step further to maybe even, well, rely on God for enough strength as the Sadducees did here in this story to realize that 
not only can we listen to those with whom we disagree, but maybe somewhere in there we can realize that sometimes they're actually right. You see, in a moment of humility, and perhaps as an offering of respect, we cannot skip the fact that, yes, the Sadducees, while they sought out to trick Jesus, that's not where this story ended. You see, they not only listened to Jesus' response, but once he finished, this passage ends by having them tell us, well, by having them respond to Jesus with one simple and honest statement as they say, teacher, you have spoken well. You have spoken well. Now, they didn't say he was right, right? And they didn't say that they were wrong, But I imagine from this response and the way that they then quietly stepped away from asking tricky questions for a while after that, that maybe they at least were willing to recognize that he was on to something. Maybe they're trying to teach us here that it's okay to be open to change and a difference of opinion. They're open to a possibility of a world that none of us can understand. And I don't know about you, but that seems especially fitting in an election week, doesn't it? where some of us are more fixated on the elections we didn't like than the ones we did. Now, in this case, here in this passage, the Sadducees, going in, sure they were right, ended with an act of humility anyway. And in this case, this thing that none of us, except Jesus, seem to fully understand uh, is the story of the resurrection and exactly what happens after we die. And as Christians, we know, as I said before, that we can't fully understand it or know exactly what it's going to look like. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be thinking about it and dreaming about it and talking about it and focusing on the things that we can be sure of, such as Jesus' truth here, that we do have a promise of eternal life through Jesus. And in that life, not only are we called to be united even when we all aren't going to agree all the time, but that in that life, first and foremost, Jesus says we will be loved and protected and cared for just like this widow was. We will be invited to leave behind the questions of earth and to prepare for something new. But that preparation, it's not just for something far in the future. It doesn't have to wait. It is something that hopefully we have already begun, and if not, that we can begin anew today. Because maybe a little bit like the small bird who found new life as he broke forth from his egg, perhaps we too can continue to find new life as we find new ways that we are invited to be a part of the living body of Christ here on earth. And maybe also like that little bird, sometimes we're too going to get impatient or be afraid or stray the wrong direction entirely, maybe even asking silly, if not stupid, questions. We may become distant and distracted, but the little bird's story didn't stop there, and neither does ours. Because in the end, maybe we're not so unlike this poor little bird either. anyway. Maybe we're a little bit like that bird who, in the end, well, he's rescued by, of all things in the world, a power shovel. And while maybe we're not relying on big old giant machinery to save us along the way, maybe Jesus is our proverbial power shovel, right? The very one who's always there to scoop us up in our moment of need, to place us back in the larger part of the body of Christ that invites us and welcomes us and cares for us. 
Maybe Jesus is our power shovel who wants to offer us life in the nest that is far up in the tree beyond our line of vision. And maybe Jesus is the very one we should be leaning into, coming back to, knowing that he too will always circle back to us, just as the mother of the chick did. Loving us, caring for us, feeding us in body and spirit, as if we've never strayed. Let us give thanks to God and trust in our Savior, who gratefully knows more than we can imagine. Let's pray together. Faithful God, we cannot count the ways that we have questions or are unsure or that we come to you wanting instant answers even to our questions. We want to know, God, that everything is going to work out throughout our lives, and we want to know that you are going to be with us. So help us to lean into these truths and into these invitations. Help us to understand the broader picture of your faithfulness and your love for each and every one of us. As you remind us of the times that you have lifted us up and brought us to new opportunities for learning and for growing. Help us, O oh God, to place our trust in you this and every day without reservation. For you, indeed, are faithful and just, our ever-present rescuer. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the First Church Message of the Week. To stay connected, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook. For more information, like our church calendar, worship times, and upcoming events, visit our website at watertownfirst.church. This has been the First Church Message of the Week.